friends and travelers, however you've arrived, I bid you welcome. Here at Let's Be Frank, we're about lives, and above all, living well. I don't suspect a podcast hosted by Benjamin Franklin could be about anything else. In my lifetime, I pursued the practice of moral improvement like a science, recording my successes, and yes, oftentimes reveling in my failings. It's my genuine hope, with our weekly almanac, to feed to a curious world delicious morsels of history in quick and concise installments, perfect for a nice sit in your favorite chair, a morning walk to work. At the end of each installment, I like to wrap it all up in a neat little parcel with a lesson you can apply to your own life, inspired by the events, personalities, and ideas covered in each episode. So sit back, relax, and together, let's make history. Salutations, dear listener. Welcome to Season 2 of Let's Be Frank, an auditory almanac for the curious mind, with me, your faithful friend and host, Dr. Benjamin Franklin, printer. My beloved Junto, our brief hiatus from the world of weekly historical musings has come and gone, and we've arrived safely and happily to Season 2 of Let's Be Frank, we have a good deal in store for our little auditory almanac, but as it's been some time, and we may have some new members amongst our ranks, let's take a moment to explore the road behind us, and what's in store for us around the rhetorical corner of Let's Be Frank's second season. Now, for those of you who are just joining us, welcome. Perhaps you're cashing in on the recommendation from a current listener. Perhaps your curiosity got the better of you and you just couldn't stay away. Perhaps you took a wrong turn down some iTunes alley and arrived safely in our auditory arms quite by accident. However you've arrived, it matters very little to me. I welcome you all the same. Now, a little bit about what we do here. This, dear listener, is a history podcast hosted by yours truly, Dr. Benjamin Franklin, composed of short installments inspired by the events of my life, but much more about curiosity, about discovering small pieces of the past long forgotten and using them to inspire our lives in the present. It's my sincere hope in empathetically connecting you with the past that you might better empathetically connect yourself with the present. It may sound convoluted. I assure you it's not. Each season of Let's Be Frank has one central series running through it, with little installments of miscellany interspersed to keep you entertained and excited to learn more. Season 1 series was called Chasing Independence, a series that focused on the philosophy that built the Declaration of Independence. In addition to that, all over the course of Season 1, we explored everything from coffee, the theater, pirates and patriots, kings, queens, presidents, poultry, and that's to name only a few. If you haven't listened to Season 1, I highly encourage you to start from the beginning, simply that we might get to know one another better. And you can arrive at Season 2 with a much firmer foundation in our friendship. A season 2 will be done in similar haphazard form, 
The kitchens of my mind are bustling, preparing the intellectual feast we'll be serving up over the next few months. We'll explore my career as a printer, my fractious relationship with the Penn family. We'll discuss balloons, bandits, fairy tales, memoirs, monsters, and through it all, I'll be sure to insert more than a few anecdotes about your favorite founding father. Which, of course, is me. I'm your favorite founding father, dear listener. Season two's focus will be a four-part series called Spilling Tea that will unfold the story of the Boston Tea Party, not only the events that led to it, but their implications in shaping the American Revolution and the American identity, all culminating on its 250th anniversary this December. As always, there is a standing invitation for anyone to submit questions they would like answered on the show or topics to inspire future episodes. I encourage any number of our junto to write to the email inquiries at bfranklinlive.com for a chance to have your voice heard in future episodes. I greatly wish to hear from you. It's my sincere hope with this podcast to foster a safe sense of community for all of us to learn and to thrive. And if you do like the show, it would mean a great deal to me if you liked and subscribed to make it easier for new members of our Junto to find us. And if you wish to take a more active role in supporting the stories we share at Let's Be Frank, I encourage you to take a look at our Patreon attached to the show notes to see what comes with being a supporting member of our Junto. Now, dear Junto, you may have noticed some changes to our format. That's because I am honored to announce that we've partnered with Primary Source Media and joined their roster of historically-minded content. Thanks to our friends' technological wizardry, you can look forward to a great many things in our future, including video recordings of future episodes on their YouTube channel, additional behind-the-scenes content for our Patreon subscribers, and in general, more of what brought you here to begin with. Stories told boldly, with humor and soul. Now having gotten all of that out of the way, we can get to today's installment. For purposes of good order, this podcast is composed of several primary sources associated with Ben Franklin's life, knit together to collect it all into one narrative on a cohesive theme. Today's episode is about a mother's love. It's about justice, and it's about the power of the written word. In the 1740s, there came printed and circulated throughout the gazettes of North America and abroad the appeal of a young woman by the name of Polly Baker. Miss Baker was brought before a court in Connecticut. The crime she committed? For having a child out of wedlock. The defense that Miss Baker would give would be one of such eloquence in her rhetoric that it would eventually be transported to gazettes throughout the entirety of the world as an example not only of American eloquence, but of the harshness of the more puritanical policies of colonial America. The following are Miss Baker's words. The speech of Miss Polly Baker before a court of judicature at Connecticut near Boston in New England, where she was prosecuted the fifth time for having a bastard child. May it please the Honorable Bench to indulge me in a few words. I am a poor, unhappy woman who have no money to fee lawyers to plead for me, being hard put to it to get a tolerable living. 
I shall not trouble your honors with long speeches, for I have not the presumption to expect that you may, by any means, be prevailed on to deviate in your sentence from the law in my favor. All I humbly hope is that your honors would charitably move the governor's goodness on my behalf, that my fine may be remitted. This is the fifth time, gentlemen, that I have been dragged before your court on the same account. Twice I have paid heavy fines, and twice have been brought to public punishment for want of money to pay those fines. This may have been agreeable to the laws, and I don't dispute it, but since laws are sometimes unreasonable in themselves, and therefore repealed, and others bear too hard on the subject in particular circumstances, and therefore there is left a power somewhat to dispense with the execution of them, I take the liberty to say that I think this law by which I am punished is both unreasonable in itself and particularly severe with regard to me, who have always lived an inoffensive life in the neighborhood where I was born, and defy my enemies, if I have any, to say I have ever wronged man, woman, or child. Abstracted from the law I cannot conceive, may it please your honors, what the nature of my offense is. I have brought five fine children into the world at the risk of my life. I have maintained them well by my own industry without burdening the township, and would have done it better if it had not been for the heavy charges and fines I have paid. Can it be a crime, in the nature of things, I mean, to add to the number of the king's subjects in a new country that really wants people? I own it. I should think it a praiseworthy rather than punishable action. I have debauched no other woman's husband, nor enticed any youth. These things I never was charged with, nor is any one the least cause of complaint against me, unless perhaps the minister of justice, because I've had child without being married, by which they have missed a wedding fee. But can ever this be a fault of mine? I appeal to your honors. You are pleased to allow I don't want sense. But I must be stupefied to the last degree not to prefer the honorable state of wedlock to the condition I have lived in. I always was, and still am, willing to enter into it. And doubt not my behaving well in it, having all the industry, frugality, fertility, and skill in economy appertaining to a good wife's character. I defy any person to say I have ever refused an offer of that sort. On the contrary, I readily consented to the only proposal of marriage that ever was made me, which was when I was a virgin. But too easily confiding in the person's sincerity that made it, I unhappily lost mine own honor, by trusting to his, for he got me with child, and then forsook me. That very person you all know. He is now become a magistrate of this country, and I had hopes he would have appeared this day on the bench and have endeavored to moderate the court in my favor. Then I should have scorned to have mentioned it, but I must now complain of it as unjust and unequal, that my betrayer and undoer, the first cause of all my fates and faults and miscarriages, if they must be deemed such, should be advanced to honor and power in the government that punishes my misfortunes with stripes and infamy. I should be told, tis like there were no act of assembly in the case the precepts of religion are violated by my transgressions. If mine, then, is a religious offense, leave it to religious punishments. You have already excluded me from the comforts of your church communion. Is not that sufficient? You believe I have offended heaven and must suffer eternal fire. Will not that be sufficient? What need is there, then, of your additional fines and whipping? I own. I do not think as you do. 
for if I thought what you call a sin was really such, I could not presumptuously commit it. But how can it be believed that heaven is angry at my having children, when to the little done by me towards it, God has been pleased to add his divine skill and admirable workmanship in the formation of their bodies, and crowned it by furnishing them with rational and immortal souls? Forgive me, gentlemen. If I talk a little extravagantly on these matters, I am no divine. But if you gentlemen must be making laws, do not turn natural and useful actions into crimes by your prohibitions. But take into your consideration the great and growing number of bachelors in the country, many of whom, from the mean fear of expenses of a family, have never sincerely and honorably courted a woman in their lives, and by their manner of living leave unproduced, which is little better than murder, hundreds of their posterity to the thousandth generation. Is not this a greater offense against the public good than mine? Compel them, then, by law, either to marriage or to pay double the fine of fornication every year. What must poor young women do whom custom have forbid to solicit the men, and who cannot force themselves upon husbands when the laws take no care to provide them any, and yet severely punish them if they do their duty without them, the duty of the first and great command of nature and of nature's God? Increase and multiply. A duty from the steady performance of which nothing has been able to deter me, but for its sake I have hazarded the loss of the public esteem, and have frequently endured public disgrace and punishment, and therefore ought, in my humble opinion, instead of a whipping, to have a statue erected in my memory. As the story goes, due to the moving eloquence of Miss Baker's appeal, the court was induced to not only dispense with her punishment, but one of the judges, seeing the rightness in her testimony, married her the very next day. And one of the earliest printings of this particular speech was in a London newspaper, the General Advertiser, on April 15, 1747. And within a week, five London papers reprinted it, and by the end of the month it had appeared in a dozen smaller provincial papers. Five monthly magazines picked it up, three in London, including the Gentlemen's, one in Edinburgh and one in Dublin. The English magazines and papers reached America in midsummer. From one of them, the Boston Weekly Postboy reprinted the speech on July 20th. Both the New York Gazette and the New York Weekly Journal, each taking it from the Postboy, published it on August 3rd. In London, the crusading deist Peter Annette included Polly's defense of her conduct in his social bliss considered. Thirty years later, a Frenchman named Abbe Renal would cite the speech in a work, speaking upon the severity of English laws. Indeed, I'd have the privilege of hosting the gentleman to speak upon his works with another contemporary of ours, one Silas Dean, who I have no doubt will speak about. Now that evening, Mr. Dean addressed him, saying, We were just speaking of your work. Dean remarked, and were saying that you had been poorly served by those who gave you information about America, and particularly my country. Now Abe grew consternated, insisted he had received the story, from a reliable source. It was at that moment I sat down my cup of wine and gently said, Monsieur Lab, I am going to set you straight. When I was young and printed a newspaper, it sometimes happened when I was short of material to fill my sheet that I amused myself by making up stories, and that of Polly Baker is one of that number. 
Yes, dear listener, if you hadn't guessed it, the speech of Miss Polly Baker was a Benjamin Franklin original. In my time as a printer, I had on occasion a particular predilection of adopting the voice of the fairer gender. The young Miss Baker was among the ranks of Martha Careful, Alice Addertongue, and, of course, most famously, Miss Silence Duguid. The widow Duguid, in her prolific writing career, would come to be so respected for her character she would receive more than one proposal of marriage, making me not only successful in my writing, but America's first catfish. <laughs> now what lesson can we derive from this, the prelude to our second season? Writing and words have power, dear listener. Yes, we already know that. But how we choose to wield those words oftentimes are just as important. When we borrow the words from others, we must take great cares to ensure the validity of them. We must always endeavor to speak true, and when caught in the possession of misinformation, rather than bending that truth, instead meet it with humility. Thank goodness there aren't any false writings attributed to this humble narrator. That's all for today's installment. Would that we had more hours in the day, but as always, we have nothing but time between us. As we close, I want to take a moment to hear from you. Do you have questions you'd like answered on future installments, or topics you'd wish to see discussed on Let's Be Frank? As mentioned before, simply write to the email inquiries at bfranklinlive.com. Resource materials and images from this week's episode can be found in the journal section at www.bfranklinlive.com. If you like the show, subscribe and stay up to date with all the latest gossip and news, and do me the kindness of leaving a review. You can follow us on Facebook at Let's Be Frank and Instagram at Be Franklin Live. And finally, dear listener, spread the word. Tell your family, tell your neighbors, tell your horse, I don't care. Let's make our intellectual junto grow. And now, dear listeners, our time together must come to an end. Fare thee well, and always remember, when you're good to others, you are best to yourself. Until we meet again, I remain your humble and obedient servant, Dr. Benjamin Franklin, printer. Stay curious, my friends. 